Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is your host, Mr. Maddie Treats. And with me, as always, is my trio's tag team champion partners, right? That would be? No, my tag team partners? How do you say that? If you're champions but partners as well. I'm asking you guys. <laughs> nothing? You guys got nothing for me. You know what? My, Moving my, on. To my <laughs> co-title holders. My fellow You know what champions. it was? It was like... <laughs> Coach I felt champions. like I was I was reaching for the tag, and McCarthy just gets off of the apron. I, stuck, and just I think wipes I turned my back like Rick Martell in uh, WrestleMania Five, man. <laughs> I, I just get swiping off the disappointment from my face there. Oh man, oh man. Well, anyways, of course, as always, uh, to my right is the educator of excellence. Educator, how are you doing today? Hello, sir. Hello, everybody from the Retro Network and those that are uh, tuning into our show. Looking forward to discussing uh, Buried Alive today, this new concept match uh, that we got to see a few more times in WWE lore. Uh, certainly trying uh, to figure out how this concept would work out and look forward to every hearing everybody's opinion about it today. Yeah, man. And it's kind of interesting to actually revisit this pay-per-view, especially because, you know, we just watched the current NXT takeover last week. Now we're on to this. We're kind of back into the retro mode. Put right. those goggles back on. Absolutely. Um, and, and let's really let's get back into it. So uh and of course to the left of me is none other than Mr. Kevin Hallions, the master library. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing good. Uh you know, excellent point you're making there. There's certainly errors in wrestling, you know, things that are popular, people that are popular, whatever it might be. And it's going to be, it, it's going to be jarring to go back and forth a little bit. Might even be for our, our listeners too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're following along and watching at home, and if you watch these events, uh, you know the week we're doing them, and then and then uh, kind of get the analysis after that. Uh, but you know, this quarantine's gone a little long, guys. I think we're all kind of um, going a little stir crazy in the house. Um, so you know, I I really wanted to just talk to. Kevin uh, Hellions, though, for a second, Kevin. No, okay. How are you feeling? Are you okay? I'm all right. I'm curious where this is going, but go, yeah. So, you know, you're surrounded by your loved ones. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, it's not a podcast. It's an intervention, okay? Um, And I'm going to speak to the, the listeners out there. Listeners, if you have been harmed by... Kevin Hellions' internet presence. Please raise your hand. Oh, look at that. Look at all the hands, Kevin. Look at all the hands out there. All the listeners. We wanted to talk to you about your addiction to TikTok. Um, we understand that you're, you're reaching out. You're not getting the social interaction that you normally would get through your regular days. And you're trying to appeal to the young audience of TikTok. Um, you know, we had your birthday spectacular a couple weeks ago. And you're trying to stay relevant. Um, what do you have to say for yourself about this? Um, 
bored in the house and I'm in the house bored. Bored in the house and I'm in the house bored. <laughs> was that some sort of is that some sort of drug reference you and your young friends do? That's that's TikTok meme. Now, see you two are saying this as haters. As as the kids say. But there's a lot of older people on TikTok that are bored and they're at home and they're quarantining. They're like, what's this stupid thing? And are getting hooked on it. Now, I got to say, sure, there's kids doing stupid stuff, too. But there's lots of uh, just entertaining little skits. There's lots of information out there, too. I'm learning all these dance moves on TikTok. I'm learning how to clean mirrors. Uh, there's a ghost story I'm following on there right now. <laughs> Kevin, the reason uh, the the reason Matt and myself are concerned is because you sent us a TikTok the other day. I did of what you thought was hysterical. And me and Matt, our response was, "What the hell is this? I what are you sending?" Us? Just dumbfounded. Like I, as much of a video gaming nerd that I'm absolutely am. I'm just like, okay, there's a box copy of a wrestling game we're talking about. I still don't understand what it is. But it was, it's, you want me to go ahead? I mean, this is, this is the floor. I mean, we, we're just, we're, we're concerned about we're you. Concerned, we're your friends. Sir. It was so absurd. I, I thought it was funny because of how ridiculous it was. A, a girl is filming herself as both people in a couple. And the implication is it's a couple about to be passionate when one looks over and sees on the shelf a box copy of King of the Ring NES with the poster still inside and stops pre-coitus because, oh, I need to show off my inbox NES game with the poster of Bret Hart. And in 2020, the girl in the skit is teenager, I'll say. It's absurd that this girl has this game in box, has an NES at all, has the poster still, knows who Bret Hart is, and is so excited about this information that she stops everything to show it off. I just thought it was funny because of how ridiculous it was. Like, picture any young person that either of you know that would be willing to stop everything to show off their Bret Hart poster. Like, it's just absurd. I thought it was funny. Like, And the fact that stores aren't open right now, so where's this girl finding this? I mean, she had it. So it's not just a, a story of wouldn't this be funny. She actually is that person that does have this and is excited about it. The whole thing just seemed absurd. I thought it was hysterical. Apparently, I'm the only one, though. The, you were the only one. Yes. I mean, there's people right now, if they're driving in their car... They, they've probably gone off the side of the road and oh. how hysterical that sounds. I mean, just we're, we're, no. we're just concerned, Kevin. We are concerned about you. What about the mirror one that I sent you too? You need to invest your energy on things more productive. Like this podcast, sir. <laughs> Look at Matt. Matt's got the educator. He's got Hasbros. They're displayed nicely. But his, it looks like a museum because he's an adult. He's not a little child like you who, who makes videos and sends them to his friends. I, I did, did I wait? Did I send you my TikTok videos? You post them on post? Instagram. We've yeah, I didn't send them directly. <laughs> All I remember is one about Uranus. And Wasp. 
and the wasp. The wasp one was funny. I'll give you that. <laughs> but then they used no. it. But then they used it in a Geico commercial. So. Now, the one I really do want to do a mirror challenge one, but I want to break out my Silent Bob Halloween costume for it. I can't find it. The only one, the only time I want you to send me the mirror challenge video is if it's Charles Wright, and every time he wipes, he turns into Papa Shango. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Or the Godfather. Yeah. Or Kama. So, that'd be Kama. fantastic. Listen, I thought the, the Peyton Royce Billy K one was hysterical. We're just we're we're concerned, okay? We just wanted we were just wanted to mention that. <laughs> bearing me on this episode. We're bearing you alive. So, anyways, <laughs> let's get right into the pay per view. There it is. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, Buried Alive. Uh, one thing I loved about this, we get the promo video to start, but I'm really happy that it is presented by PlayStation. I don't know what it was when I saw the PlayStation logo come up. I know Matt can attest to this as well. Um, just a smile came across my face. Oh, the original gray console, the fire up screen when you hit that power button for Sony uh, Entertainment. Oh, my goodness. I'm glad that they're, uh, uh, we're able to uh, support this wrestling endeavor for the evening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a little interesting note here, too, is once we, we get into the arena, um, we have no in-your-house set because they have actually the mound of dirt, the grave, the graveyard set basically set up for it. Of course, we, this is October 20th, 1996. We're in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Market Square Arena. Um, and we're greeted by Vince King and Jr. with there's only a problem is we are getting technical difficulties and Jr.'s mic is not working. It's a little in and out here. Cutting in and out for any reason, you'd think for a multi million dollar. I mean, this is pre stock pre going public, but a multi million dollar conglomerate and, you know, having had the three man, uh, booth for the for a pretty good duration of the shows here for the in your houses you'd think they would have had a a decent sound setup all ready to go but for whatever reason uh mr ross seems to be on the one on the end without any any equipment to get him to go to get him started to be able to contribute to the uh to the episode and broadcast team now kevin when you started this did you did you remember the whole heel jr storyline um, and did you remember kind of this part of it, Kev? I did not remember this segment taking place. I didn't remember this, you know, the specific ones from this pay-per-view. Uh, nor do I remember because when they opened, they said a number of mistakes already happened on the free-for-all. I can't find the free-for-all for this pay-per-view, so I'm not sure if it's more Jim Ross stuff, Mike stuff, whatever. But I do remember the whole heel JR feuding with McMahon. And really before it became Mr. McMahon and the, you know, him against Austin character. So, and it it just seems so out of place. You had JR bringing in, you know, air quotes, Diesel and Razor back to WWF throughout the night. He talks about he's bringing Bret Hart back and uh, I don't like it. We can get into it more in the first match. But we've debated on previous podcasts who's booking the company. This is, without a doubt, the start of Vince Russo's in charge of booking this pay-per-view. There is a lot here. And I'm, I'm going to jump ahead of it now. I am all for doing skits, doing interviews, doing 
whatever to get your overall story across for a wrestling show. Where's the wrestling? Where's the angle? Where's the money in Heel JR? Like, what is the point of this? It's there is none. It's so Russo can play with the internet crowd. That is flat out it. There's no money to be made in this story. Anything you do in wrestling should be to make money. Whether it's your story, whether it's your angle, whether it's your promo, whatever. It should be to get fans interested and to make more money. I don't get this. It's awful. It goes on too long. It takes away from the matches for the duration of it. It takes away from the whole evening. Like, this whole JR thing really upset me throughout the show. Yeah, and even I'm looking through my notes, and I I was very frustrated. The the first two matches, just so much was taken away. I'm sure live at the show, uh, the matches were absolutely entertaining for what they were, but there was just too much distraction to the viewer uh, who's trying to pay attention to the match and is now trying to also focus on and understanding the whole storyline going on between JR and McMahon and the whole audio issue. Um, it, it just, it took too much away from the presentation, at least to the television audience. And unfortunately two matches suffered um, in the purpose of their presentations as a result. Now, Educator, do you remember how long the Heel JR storyline went for? It was definitely done by uh, spring of 97. Um, I know that the, the at one point there was an intent to have JR be like an on-screen ringside manager to the Diesel Razor characters that were brought in. Um, but he, he really didn't have too, too much interest in that. He was still at the time doing the role of, you know, talent relations at this point and was responsible for um, the hiring and the, re, you know, the retention uh, of the, of the competitors and the, and the, uh, the different characters that we would see on TV. He, he just, it, well, it would have been an additional thing for him to have to prep for and do uh, for his responsibilities. He didn't want to have anything of it. And the uh, Razor character and uh, the gentleman that played him, he was gone right after his Royal Rumble appearance. So uh, Heel JR, I'm pretty sure, fizzled out by the end of the 96, 1996 timeline. Yeah, and in in kind of what both of us, I think we all agree how distracting the whole technical difficulties is, um, and I, I think it's more because of the technical difficulties than having a heel commentator personally. Right. Yes. Um, you know, we're so used to having a heel commentator over the years uh, that that's become second nature. But it's when those technical difficulties, when you're going in and out of your you know your your microphone and it's it's just so distracting i mean it's a real shame because the first match on the card is uh you know triple h versus stone cold steve austin um and and this is actually the first time stone cold gets his real theme music with the right. glass breaking um and, and just it, it just takes away from the entire match um i, I me personally, that's what I felt. I don't know about you guys, but uh, Educator, what would you think? Um, so this particular match apparently was not the original booking. And I didn't even realize that until it was made mention that apparently the original pay-per-view booking was supposed to be another Sabio Vega versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. But uh, apparently, I'm not sure if it was real or storyline prior, uh, Savio Vega was supposedly injured and would not be able to participate. So we get another heel versus heel 
um, match here. And we started to talk about it at the last show with the smoking guns and the bulldog. Owen, another heel versus heel match. We're actually going to see that kind of rematch again tonight, uh, and discussing this show. Um, so I, I, with what Hellion said about, um, uh, this this really starts to sh- uh, have the fingerprints of Vince Russo being all over this. We're starting to get some of this pseudo shock reality based uh, television presentation, and now we're starting to play with. It's not always necessarily good versus evil, or uh, you know, face versus heel. So we we got a very interesting dynamic, and the fact that yeah, this particular show was the debut of Steve Austin and that gla- his original rendition of the glass shattering music. Um, there, there were so many things going on in this match that it took away from it's a Steve Austin versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley match. We've already discussed the whole, the JR and the microphone thing cutting in and out and how much of a distraction, um, that was there. Um, You guys, you tell me another thing that I, as a distraction in this match, as well as a couple of others, the two annoying fans that were front and center with the red shirt, I just, they must have said something to the point that it caused Steve Austin to get out of the ring and get down on the floor face to them and jaw jacking them. And then Triple H as well, immediately after gets out of the ring, goes down to the floor and starts jaw jacking with them. Um, these are like two adult fans. They looked like they were in their late twenties, early thirties, and just their their interactions in the show. I mean, at one point they were both patting Gold Dust on the bat on his back during the Intercontinental Title match, and we'll talk about that later. I just those two fans just it was too much, and I'm surprised security wasn't involved in, in telling them either knock it off or you know you're going to get moved or, or sent out. Um, the uh, whole idea with Mr. Perfect in that storyline where he is supposedly going to be making a return to the ring and he is beginning to um, set up a supposed feud with uh, with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. We're starting to see some of the those seeds being planted for what would have been a, a, a mega swerve to that, but not realizing what that mega swerve was and then realize and then figuring out what those interactions were and how, while they were supposedly a distraction to the Hunter Hearst Helmsley character, they were actually for a much bigger picture that was, you know, later on, uh, later in the week in wrestling. Um, so Mr. Perfect coming to ringside, stealing, uh, the girl for that Hunter Hearst Helmsley was escorted to the ring, kind of served as a distraction Hunter Helmsley part of the match. Um, we see Stone Cold Steve Austin finish the match with a stunner onto Hunter Hearst Helmsley after um, like Austin missed uh, an offensive maneuver when uh, Triple H was kind of like prone over the ropes. Uh, for modern day wrestlers, imagine if you know, or modern day uh, viewers, imagine a wrestler's laying on the ropes getting ready to take the 619 for Rey Mysterio Jr. One of the things that we remember Austin doing is he would, you know, hit the ropes and then come and kind of do like a sit-out on top of the body of the wrestler. Austin does this jumping leap, completely misses as Hunter rolls out of the way. But the way Austin lands on the double ropes, he just kind of like bounces on the ropes, gets right off, and then immediately 
uh, grabs Hunter and hits him with a stunner. So uh, it was an interesting finish, but just too much distraction going on to the at-home viewer for the match. I'm sure live in person, this was a much more entertaining match. I'm trying to think of a way to explain it. And it's almost like a, a kid gets to tell the story, you know, a school assignment. Hey, come up with any story you want. Any, I can write any story. You can write anything you want. Okay, cool. And the kid's been bursting to get a story out and throws everything he can think of out there all at once. And it's too much. You got Stone Cold. And he's, you know, we have to address his language use and throwing up middle fingers. Triple H comes out. He has a model. We have to address that. The two fans, which granted is not something WWF could have controlled, but you got that going on too. I'm also shocked they were not thrown out. They are a horrible distraction throughout the show. You got JR's mic issues and that whole thing going on. Now let's talk about Mr. Perfect returns tomorrow. Boy, the way they build up Mr. Perfect through this, you would have thought he would have been, you know, IC or world title picture for the next couple of years and marketed as a huge star. Like they constantly build up his return throughout this. So Mr. Perfect comes out, distracts Hunter, leaves with the model. You got the fight on the outside of it. Um, Austin going and grabbing a, a drink, water soda, whatever, throwing it at Mr. Perfect. Out in the aisle, back to the ring. There is just so much happening in this match that is too much. And it takes away from it. Like you were saying, maybe live it could have been better, but still, even live, there's a lot happening here. Um, for For positive things for it, though... When did Austin stop using the stun gun? Because, geez, that looks so cool. I'm, You know, as stunning Steve Austin, he did it all the time in WCW. But you rarely see it in his WWF run. I don't know if it was injury-related or what, but when he busted it out here, I loved seeing it. I was very excited by it. Um, it the stunners showing up. The crowd is loving Austin already. He's a heel, and he's they are not even trying to pretend he's a face yet, but they are into him crowd is already knowing this is something different and are getting excited about it. They're, nothing's there for Triple H yet. He, I mean, he's not Triple H yet, though. He's Hunter or Somsley still, but there's, they just don't care. And you're right, Grand, there's the injury, but it is weird that we got two heel matches in a row that, you know, everyone, it's two heel teams later, it's two heels right now. But when did, like, there's a lot for where mcmahon's taking the company he did have the promo where he came out and and it, it hasn't happened yet but his promo where he comes out and says we're gonna tell stories we're past good guys versus bad guys they're just characters and yeah in wrestling you will always have you know a face and a heel but either past the cartoon level of it i'd say and then when was it let's drop the facade that this Vince McMahon is in charge of this company. And while we've had presidents like Jack Tunney or Gorilla Monsoon or whatever, it's always McMahon. And that's been a figurehead because he's still he, he, like Jim Ross is flat out saying like, it's your company, you own it. But McMahon still seems to be like playing around with like, Oh, can we ask someone what to do here? And all like pretending he's not calling the shots here. There's there's a lot distracting on this pay-per-view, and it all, even the first match. Thankfully, there's better Stone Cold Triple H matches later in their careers. Yeah, uh, so one thing kind of um, 
Kevin, for you, just a question. Don't you wish, like, obviously with those two fans in the front row jawing at, um, you know, Austin and Triple H, and then I know, you know, the educator made the allusion to them touching, like, Marlena's back, touching Goldust's back. Don't you wish the Sultan was wrestling tonight? <laughs> that's that's the guy that would have known how to take care of himself and how to get fans ejected from the building not like these rookies austin helmsley yeah um and and then you've kind of alluded to it i know um i had it later because it comes after the bulldog smoking guns match um during the jr segment when he is in the ring um but and let me ask the educator this uh, Vince being the owner, was that common knowledge right now? Um, was that something that came out because of the steroids trial? Um, but I mean, or is it just kind of the birth of the internet? Your, your fans are smartening up a little bit. I think it's the fans are starting to smarten up the internet. What you had just said, uh, I believe it is, it's becoming more and more common knowledge. Uh, certainly of what Vince McMahon is in relation to the World Wrestling Federation, uh, but wasn't certainly being purposefully or overtly acknowledged on television. But then you have JR later on in the show go on his little in-ring rant and diatribe and and pretty much publicly outs McMahon in this show as being the owner, an egotistical owner at that. Um, My my other question to to Educator is, at this point was on WCW was Bischoff talking about Vince um, openly as the owner as well. Cause maybe the, maybe that could be some fuel to the fire too, is you got this, you got this rival company that's on Monday nights going after you. And they're constantly saying, Oh, you know, uh, Vince fears Bischoff. And why would, you know, they talk about announcers like that sort of thing. Um, I'm not really too much. I can't remember off the top of my head how much acknowledgement there was at throwing barbs at each other uh, in regards to in the light of that. I know that there was the uh, supposed McMahon versus Bischoff match advertised for a WCW pay-per-view, but that was still down the road sometime in 97 or even early 98. Um, But yeah, we're, we're starting to, like I said, we're seeing the fingerprints of of Vince Russo's involvement here in the kind of the shock value reality TV presentation, and uh, there's it's in its earliest stages of in- infancy, and maybe it's the as what Hellion said, it's just so much they're just trying to throw everything out there and seeing what would stick and what fans are reacting to. Okay. So, so moving on from the, um, the first match, uh, we do get a video package for the smoking guns. Uh, they want their tag team titles back. Um, you do have, uh, doc Hendricks then interviewing the smoking guns and it kind of just is disgusting that Billy Gunn would be obsessed with Sonny. I don't get that. Certainly the video package gives us an overview and I actually forgot how much, um, the, uh, the months, the weeks uh, uh, that were put into the eventual splitting of the smoking guns, they're essentially rehashing, uh, the rockers fallout in early or late 91, early 92. Um, we, we see the video package showing, uh, during the tag team title match, the previous month, uh, Billy Gunn on a, an attempted tag kind of pushed or when Bart got thrown in the buckle and hit Billy Gunn, uh, Billy Gunn was kind of mad and he kind of pushed Bart back towards the end of the ring. And that's ended up why Bulldog ended up scooping him up and doing the power ended up getting and doing the finish and winning the tag team championships. And, and we're, 
continuing to lay the, the groundwork for an eventual split of the team and and we're going to eventually see that and they're going to be completely split by the next pay-per-view yeah and that uh leads us into our bulldog and owen uh with clarence mason versus the smoking guns match match number two on the card um i don't know if you guys noticed it i for me i don't know if the tag team championships the physical belts if they were like uh, a refurbished or uh, an updated model uh, of the titles uh, of that particular uh, model championship, the belts just they they looked really really nice, extra shiny, extra gold. Uh, I don't know if they were physically new championships uh, or just they just spent a lot of time rep- you know taking care of them and shining them up. The titles they just looked really good on Bulldog and Owen as they were walking down to the ringside. Again, they're still doing the whole JR, the issues with the microphone, um, and it sounds like um, at one point they they keep doing these different kinds of like cuts or patches of how he, they're trying to get his, his audio back in. Um, he sounds like he's in a set of, in a, in a football stand with, with a megaphone at one point um, calling in, <laughs> uh, you know, trying to do play-by-play. Again, really really frustrating uh, i get of what the, the for the television viewer what was being taken away uh from the actual tag team title match itself i thought there in the match itself there were really great tag exchanges between the bulldog and owen utilizing the whole five second double team maneuvers you know uh bulldog uh or owen would whip one of the guns against the ropes and would do a drop toe hold and then bulldog would come off the ropes and do a, a leg drop onto the back of the the smoking gun um constant double team maneuvers um and again we we see the 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 finish at the end uh, leading to more dissension between the guns where bart gun essentially uh picked up owen had him set up for the sidewinder uh billy was tagged in but billy just took way too long to get to the top rope was i don't know necessarily showboating but just took too long and then we got davy coming in and grabbing uh bart gunn who was holding owen and yanking him out of the way as billy gunn is in the air trying to deliver the leg drop and uh there was just a complete whiff or miss on that leg drop and then uh owen ended up getting the pin and we got the one two three and we hear own hearts music play and yay we've got another uh successful tag team title defense by the bulldog and uh owen hart going back to the the guns promo video there you see the lack of long-term planning too because oh let's let's do this split up over a woman that and billy gunn's more interested in sunny than you know and being a good tag team partner or, or paying attention to the match and then shortly after when we get the guns official split up their wives jump into the ring when when billy gunn is quote injured i mean if if, if his wife has spent the last couple months watching him try to hook up with Sonny, she's probably not going to run to the ring all concerned about his well-being. She'd probably be happy about it and be like, good, get him out of my life, cheating bastard. Right. Um, there's a weird non-tag between Owen and Bulldog, where Bulldog just kind of seems to come into the ring, and they just let it go as a tag. <laughs> like, their hands don't, cl- you know, touch or anything. Uh, more of JR's mic issues, and played up where Sonny hears Jerry Lawler talking to her, even though she doesn't have a headset on or anything, and is in the back when she gives like a, a wink or whatever to JR. 
or to King and then JR flips out like, oh, you can she can hear you, but no one can hear me doing more to distract from it. The ending I loved. It was just such a different ending to the match where Bulldog sneaks up behind Bart and is kind of hiding and you know, no one they don't realize he's there and he's kind of hiding from Billy as well. Pulls Bart away at the last minute, which means Billy misses the move, which sets up Owen get in the pin. It was just it, it's such a little thing, but it was fun. It was a different ending you don't see that much. Um, in fact, I, like I'm sure there's other examples of it over time that you know uh, a more obsessed wrestling historian can show. But I've not seen this one, so I enjoyed that a lot. It was just something different. Speaking of something different, though, I don't know treats if you've done your research, but it was asked during this match. Uh, Jr. asked, it, I believe, so I'm wondering if you did any research. But what is Sonny wearing? Was it a nightgown? <laughs> yeah, no. they, they, it was, she was wearing whatever the hell she wants. Okay, <laughs> how dare you besmirch her? How dare you besmirch her good name? She's a pillar of the community. She's she's an icon for sure. That is true. Yeah, they were they were going off about what she was wearing. Uh, but my favorite line of the match was the king saying, "She's been on so many blind dates. She should be able to get a free dog." I don't I don't know what it means, but I like it. More more free puppies. Well, he like so as annoying as the heel JR and his microphone issues and all are. You're also this in the last pay-per-view, I believe, you're seeing the JR colloquialisms come out and McMahon just what the heck was that? Um he said something the last pay-per-view like mud hole or slobber knocker or whatever. And you can tell the reaction of, what the hell are you talking about here? But those are, you know, classic lines of Jim Ross that we all grew to love when his mic works. Oh, you're done? Okay. <laughs> I wasn't no, sure. No, I kinda... you, are you on TikTok right now? Is that what you're looking at? No, because I'm worried if I am, the sound could distract from us. You know, but I, I'm practicing my dances, you know. I'm a savage. Classy, bougie, ratchet. Yeah, there's no amount of wiping that's going to save that, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have to leave that in. I I can't take that out. That's gold. All right. Let's move on to the next next little segments here. Of course, we get the uh, superstar line. Uh, We got Triple H talking to uh, Ray Rougeau. And then we get the JR in the ring. Um, promising Bret Hart on Monday Night Raw and kind of a tell-all. Um, of course, we kind of alluded to this earlier going off on Vince. I don't think we really have to cover it. Was there anything else that was mentioned on it that we haven't really touched based on yet? Just, you know, the egotistical owner line was was just, you know, really throwing barbs towards McMahon and just trying to, to get over that we're trying to do a heel turn with, with JR. And unfortunately, the fans just weren't buying into it. Yeah, I did like when Jr. at the end throws the mic and Vince catch, catches it, and then Vince says, "Good catch, Vince." <laughs> like, I don't know what it was. I just I, love he's that. He's so Vince is so cocky during this too, right? Like, it, it's obvious, you know, his his storyline there. Well, his his approved storyline for the whole Jim Ross thing, and and oh, let's make comments about me being in charge of the company and me doing this and me doing that. But he's so cocky and arrogant about the whole thing too like he's enjoying the attention um 
quick little thought here because we keep seeing commercials or, or uh, you know, um, promos for the superstar line and who's talking on it and all. With WWE getting into the podcast world, imagine if they had these recorded and like they re released them as a weekly podcast. Like, here's what the superstar line was for you know, this pay per view. Here, here's our recordings of everyone talking, yeah, or uh, like Mean Jeans hotlines, yeah. I've, that would be actually be curious to kind of, you know, think. So, uh, uh, trademark, can we trademark? Can you can you audio trademark that audio trademark? <laughs> I don't want There's the WWE a to get that. of them somewhere. Yeah, I would imagine that they they have it somewhere in the Got vault. Tapes of all that, I wonder. Yeah. Well, who knows? Because I remember when they didn't have the audio of the commentators to play over the Hillbilly Jim uh, Henry Godwin That's music true. from a couple couple uh, pay per views ago. Well, so. uh, but also, like, there seems to be a WWF WWE thing of we're we're sued for something and screw you because there's definitely audio issues where they don't even try to put in new entrance music and keep the original ring and or the original announcers but also look at the wwf scratch logo lawsuit where they just stuck up like this big blur that would ruin matches until they had the copyright back that they could show the wwf logo they're just like ah screw you here's big blur all right well that takes away from like this going on and this going on not yeah, don't care i remember you'd have to watch that with the blur on the turnbuckles I mean, honestly, like a bunch of VHS and DVD and, and tapes fresh off of TV stuff started skyrocketing price on eBay because people wanted it without the blur. So we, we do have a, a free-for-all recap after the JR interview. Where they're kind of going through the Farouk and Ahmed Johnson storyline. Who? Uh, Farouk and Ahmed. The man they call Farouk. Oh, sorry. Listen, Vince is trying to get it over. I'm just trying to help. Well, lose the hat. <laughs> lose, the, lose the helmet. Uh, we get Mr. Perfect back out there, and he's kind of talking with JR before Mr. Perfect joins the announce team. Uh, of course, that's now uh, Mr. Perfect, Vince, and King. And by the way, Mr. Perfect's audio, the, they got the audio issues fixed because Mr. Perfect is sounding on the mic perfect. No pun intended. And that leads to match number three with his Goldust and Marlena taking on the wild man, Mark Miro with Sable. Uh, what did you uh, guys think of this one? So here we have uh, what was originally supposed to be Farouk versus Mark Miro, but because of the storyline earlier in the show on the free for all, we got another injury angle as a result in Goldust, who is actually in his first of three appearances for the entire night. Uh, has a what I thought was a really good match uh, with Mark Merrill. Um, I, I here we're starting to see a little bit of an evolution of the Mark Merrill character. We're getting away from both he and Sable doing the whole like shiny black latexy outfit kind of deals. Um, and more of like what I felt and you guys tell me your opinions. We're kind of doing like an updated modern version of Macho Man and Liz. We've got Mark Merrill coming to the ring with the, the longer robe and he gets in the ring and he's twisting around with his arms, uh, extended, flashing off that robe. 
And we've got Sable here instead of in her little black uh, outfit. Uh, she's got more of like a, a cocktail dress or, or a, a gown on as opposed to uh, when she's not twirling any whip around. Um just the uh, the move set throughout the match. I thought it was. I thought it was a really good Mark Merrill match, and we're only got a couple more uh, weeks here until the Mark Merrill eventually has a knee injury that causes him to go away for a long time, and he ends up coming back with uh, the whole boxer version of his gimmick, uh, which is too bad because I really think Merrill, as this was starting to hit his stride. Um, some of his moves, Goldust is outside of the ring on the, on the floor, and Mark Marrow does that flipping senton over the top rope, seated senton onto uh, Goldust uh, out onto the floor. Uh, Marrow does that moonsault where he climbs up to the top rope and then like does a 180 twist around and then hits that moonsault onto Goldust. Um what was weird is that we see these two annoying fans again um, that were when Mero got knocked out of the ring right in front of them. The fans are like standing up and they're the only two that are standing up in the entire crowd. They're like reaching over the rail. They're patting Mero on the back. When Goldust comes out to retrieve Mero, they're patting Goldust on the back as well. How security did not get much more involved, at least visibly involved, and, and even throw these guys out. It, it was just frustrating. And then we start to see... Um, more of the Mr. Perfect Hunter Hearst Helmsley storyline that as a fan, we don't know what's going on, but then after the fact, when everything plays out again, you notice how Mr. Perfect is confronting triple H triple H is confronting Mr. Perfect, but they at all, do not at all have any physical contact with one another, more or less stare downs. We get Mr. Perfect first who gets up from the announcing booth. Uh, because he's frustrated the referee is doing absolutely nothing and containing the action in the ring. And then in the process of perfect getting up and starting to approach Marrow and kind of give him some positive feedback, kind of like be a coach to him to get him back in the ring. We start to hear the crowd erupt as triple H begins to come down ringside and he begins to confront Mr. Perfect for a distraction. Um, then the referee referee, Mike Kyoto jumps between uh, Mr. Perfect and Triple H to kind of split them apart. And because Kyoto's uh, back is to Mr. Perfect, Mr. Perfect turns around and smacks Goldust in the face at ringside and, and causes uh, Marrow to get more of a competitive advantage. And then Marrow was able to easily set up, do a quick Samoan drop onto Goldust and set up for his top rope wild thing. Uh, maneuver and boom, we get a one, two, three, and we get a retaining of the Intercontinental Championship. And uh, on a commentary, we're still hearing about how Mr. Perfect is coming back and is going to be wrestling tomorrow night on Monday Night Raw against Triple H. And we end up seeing what the mega swerve was the following evening, where instead we end up getting uh, Mr. Perfect supposedly injured 
on Monday Night Raw. So Wildman Mark Merrow decides to take his place. And in doing so, he defends the Intercontinental Championship against Triple H. Mid-match, uh, Mr. Perfect, who is supposedly injured, actually interferes to help Triple H win. And Triple H now becomes Intercontinental Champion. So it was a great uh, piece of storytelling in terms of trying to set up the Triple H versus Mr. Perfect. But really, there was a much bigger picture going on and securing an intercontinental title match. So Perfect's role in making sure that Mero retains to then set up for tomorrow night, this is actually, I felt well done. And the match between Mero and Goldust, I thought was one of the, uh, a very good outing, much better than their SummerSlam match that they had uh, a couple months prior. Uh, one thing I do want to point out um, before moving on to Mr. Library is six months later, the burial of Triple H is over. He's no longer in the doghouse uh, for the uh, for the curtain call. But but he was buried for years, Matt. I know. He, I know. he does that he... sit down interview with Jr. talking about remember when you when you you know pushed me down and all, and it took him years to get back. I mean, you don't you don't win it. You don't win the second biggest title in the company when you're being held back. Our, our, our timing must be off. He was uh, so his buried alive match will be over tomorrow night on Raw when he wins that IC title. So, uh, what'd you think of this, Kevin? Uh, all right, so I want to comment on that on what happened next night in Raw too, but let me get to it. Uh, as we said, Mister Perfect comes back out. Looks like he took a real nasty shot from that soda or whatever the drink was that Austin threw in his face earlier because his his sport coat is off, his tie is undone. He's all disheveled. The hair's not in a ponytail. Like, that must have been quite the hit that he took. Like, he, he just looks a wreck. Um, Mr. Perfect with great uh, points on his commentary during this match. Uh, comments like, Razor and Diesel are great athletes. That's why JR brought them into the WWF. Like, they're really trying to get over these replacements. And, and one did get over eventually, but not as Diesel. Um... Also for Mr. Perfect, uh, when he's commenting on, it was either Marlena or Sable, I forget, or, or the, the valet from earlier. Did he say that he keeps women in the garage? Did either of you pick up on that? Yeah, there was a weird exchange between Perfect and uh, the King. And he's like, which one do you want to talk about? The ones in the garage? <laughs> Maybe it was something like that. I can't remember the exact yeah. quote, but yeah, he, cause, cause he was just talking about all the women, all the women that he has and, uh, you know, where he keeps them, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Marrow outside with the, our, our two fans of the evening as talked about earlier, you know, the, the whole thing, Mr. Perfect coming out, Hunter coming out, all that Goldust stops the match, asks for a mic. And threatens to go out in the crowd saying, shut up or I'll go out there and stick my tongue down your throats. With all of this, and then with what you mentioned happens the next night on Raw. Are we at a point where the pay-per-views don't matter? It's all about getting the higher rating for Raw. Because there's a lot on here. There's, there's more angles during a pay-per-view that people paid for. And then you're your big moments like you know the title switch are happening on raw because you need something exciting to happen opposite nitro there's nothing opposite the pay-per-view 
so it seems like we have a reversal of, of the weekly shows leading into pay-per-view. Now we got the pay-per-view leading into the weekly show. So hopefully we'd be nitro in the ratings. I wonder, Kevin, if that's a, a lot to do with us watching the in-your-house pay-per-views. Um, you know, because it's not leading to the big four or big five, if you want to include uh, King of the Ring. So I, I, I would be curious to, to see if, you know, SummerSlam and, and, and Survivor Series, if they are set up like that. Whereas, you know, these were always seen as the secondary pay-per-views. Okay, true. True, they're secondary. But you need to give people reason to spend the money. Every pay-per-view should have something happen that was worth spending the money on it. So, yes, this has the Buried Alive match, and I would say that counts. But there's many pay-per-views where there's no gimmick match, no special match, no title change. So why did I just hand you $20, $30, $40 for nothing to happen that's of consequence? Like, Nitro and Raw became... Look, I mean, Nitro even... I, I'm jumping around here. But Goldberg should not have defeated Hogan on a free Nitro. That should have been a pay-per-view. You know, like the amount of stuff that they were giving away for free just to outdo the other is absurd looking back on it. Well, I, I think this is what, you know, we end up coming to the idea of the Monday Night Wars. And eventually these two hour shows end up becoming three hour full blown pay-per-views at full price. So, again, I think WWF is using these shows as an additional vehicle to get more people to tune into their weekly shows. So, yeah, I definitely see your point how the shows are kind of, uh, you know, pushing, you know, what's going to be what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next. And, you know, their, their main vehicle being that Monday night show. Yeah. Now, now Treat said you wanted to make a comment about uh, Goldust's character when uh on the announcing, they say that Goldust must have a, or WWF has a don't ask, don't tell policy. Oh, yeah. Just, I forgot the um, the amount of just, they're, they're making Clinton references, they're making don't ask, don't tell references. Um, you know, I just thought it was interesting to kind of see how, you know, they're trying to be an edgier product and they're bringing up more of the, um, you, you know, the, the politics of the uh, of the time. No, it's funny, though, because, like, for the most part, like, a, a sexual preference of a character doesn't really matter 90% of the time in wrestling because it doesn't play into it. You know, like, Undertaker was Undertaker for a lot of his career was never paired with a woman. So is the Undertaker character gay, straight, bi, whatever? It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter to the storyline for that character. You know, like, I mean, Goldust, it does, clearly. Mark Merrill's coming out with his wife, so it's like, okay, we know. But I'd say 90% of the time for character, it's not a part of the storyline, so it doesn't matter. But then they were very much with the Goldust character, like, okay, as we're throwing this out here and becoming more aggressive with the character, we need to address it, too. Yeah, so then uh, next, I, I know Matt will be very excited because uh, we go into the AOL lounge uh, with JR. And, of course, your favorite, Fake Diesel. Uh, and then that bum, Fake Razor, is there. Hey, Rick Bogner doesn't get uh, enough props for attempting to do that Fake Razor gimmick. But, 
you know what, Glenn Jacobs, he, he tried to do multiple things. He finally found something that sticked, but uh, that, that stuck. Wow, listen to me, the educator here. Uh, finally found something that stuck. Uh, but I, I was just, I was appreciative of the, of the, the diesel character. And, um, I, I thought there were more miles that could have went with it, but you know, uh, they retooled things certainly, and, uh, certainly figured something out. And the Kane character, um, obviously was a monstrous success. Educator before, you know, you saw that fake diesel was going to be in the AOL lounge. How many CDs of AOL Internet did you save up so you could talk to the man? Oh, I, I, I had like a, a whole stack ready to go. Unfortunately, my dial-up was just not working well that night at home. So I couldn't get my my uh, my 56K modem up and going. So it is what it is. I was, all, I was only getting 28.8 that night. Wasn't Fake Razor uh, briefly a member of NWO in Japan? Like, in Japan, though? Never crossed over into WCW? I don't believe so. I could be wrong on that, but that does not ring a bell. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not even going to even take a guess at that one. Um, well, let's move on, because I, I'm very disappointed that Kevin said... Um, that if you took alive the the buried alive match, we don't have another gimmick match because we do. In our co-main event, we have the battle of the bombs, the battle of the power bombs. Um, we get the video package um, showing the Psycho Sid versus Vader feud, um, and then uh, of course the winner of this match gets the title shot at the Survivor Series. Uh, before that match. Uh, we do have Shawn Michaels come out to join the commentary team. He's going to do some guest commentary. I thought it was very interesting that the world champion comes out without his belt. Um, just beltless. No belt whatsoever. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that the Battle of the Power Bombs match featured zero power bombs. We actually got an attempt by one onto the other, but unfortunately, uh, yeah, no power bombs. So um, my original frustration with when vader came to the wf in 96 was that he they retooled him in doing a completely different finisher and part of it was because of the fact that kevin nash who was the real diesel character um was still there and that, i mean that was his finishing maneuver so vader doing the second rope splash um uh as the vader bomb uh, as his finish, I, you know, I guess it made sense. And I was just happy that later down the road, we start, we got to see Vader starting to use the Vader bomb, the true Vader bomb that was called in WCW, the big power bomb finish. Um, what many fans may not realize was that this particular match here in 96 was a missed out feud, unfortunately, and a pay-per-view match that was missed out on. This was originally going to, uh, was, penciled in as the main event for what would have been Starcade 93 for WCW. And instead it became Vader versus Ric Flair where Ric Flair won his, I believe his 10th uh, heavyweight championship at the time, uh, at least recognized heavyweight championship at the time. Um, Vader and Sid had been feuding uh, or were in the midst of a feud in WCW. Uh, they were initially tag team partners tagging up with uh, to go fight uh, uh, Sting and the British Bulldog. 
And then there was an unfortunate overseas incident. Uh, there was a tour in Europe and a pair of scissors and Arn Anderson and Sid uh, Vicious uh, resulted in puncture wounds and eventually Sid being fired from the company. So we ended up not getting this particular match three years prior where Vader was a lot much more in his prime as a big man. So it probably would have been a much more interesting match then. Um, but we start to see Vader or uh, Sid becoming a little bit more polished, I guess. Uh, we've been commenting on the last few episodes how uh, Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid's return to the WWF at the time uh, for that international incident pay-per-view, it seemed like to light a fire under him. He had an amazing uh, set of contributions, that six-man tag. He had a decent match with the Bulldog at SummerSlam. And then the last couple of shows, and now to here, uh, he has a really decent match. I feel decent match for what he could with uh, with Vader. Um Sid one of the things you know wrestlers attempting moves that you would never expect in terms of their moonset how about Sid attempting an over the top rope sunset flip on Vader from jumping from the apron over the top rope of Vader to do a sunset flip of course Vader does the big sit down splash on him to thwart that attempt um I don't know if you guys cringed again. I certainly did when I saw uh, Sid go to the top rope again to jump off. But Sid jumping off to do kind of like a cross body block and Vader essentially catching him and doing a, a, a essential splash uh, or a, a Vader slam from that so that he could climb up to that second rope and do that reverse splash uh, that we're more familiar with Jack Swagger doing in his WWE run. Uh, Vader gets his knees up for that. We see Sid, our, uh, I'm sorry, we get Sid get, uh, puts his knees up and thwarts off Vader trying to do that Vader bomb splash. Uh, Sid ends up body slamming Vader and that got a pretty good pop from both the fans and even the announcers uh, that were impressed with uh, the, how clean that body slam looked. Um, Vader lows, uh, low blows Sid as uh, Cornette is kind of like running interference trying to get into the ring. Uh, to uh, distract the referee, uh, and Vader goes for uh, a power bomb onto Sid. Sid certainly blocks it, and eventually we just get an unsuspecting finish of off the ropes. Vader gets caught by Sid, and in in, he turns into a choke slam and does a quick one, two, three, and and now we have Psycho Sid as the uh, supposed number one contender for Shawn Michaels' uh, Survivor Series in the Garden in the following month. Um, just to, to double back, I did look up while you're talking. Fake Razor was a member of NWO Japan. Ah. And uh, looking at the list of who was in NWO Japan, that's just a uh, that's a rabbit hole to go down one day. And it's too bad that a lot of that stuff never got you know brought over here for us to watch too. Um, Sid is so over, just out of nowhere. And again, to go back in our In Your House series when we were just crapping on his matches, the turnaround is incredible. I, I, I'm half debating sitting down and watching like a real like hours long shoot interview with Sid to find out what happened, like what the change in his life was and motivation and whatever it might be to bring out this version. Uh, Shawn Michaels coming out here for commentary. 
Sean here is like heel Zach Morris. He's the pretty boy. He's getting away with saying stuff he really shouldn't be saying or really shouldn't be getting away with. But he's also the most popular guy there. So what are you going to do to him? And he, he comes like just the way that he comes down to the ring and looks and all. Boy, thank goodness he had the violent match with Kevin Nash and on the last in your house, the violent match with Mankind so they could make him look strong and tough and not like a pretty boy to have him come out looking like a pretty boy. Ruining all that. He comes out looking like Kip Winger. Um, and then he, he says stuff on here. Uh, the, the only person who doesn't want to be me is me. Meaning it's work to be the WWF champion. The only person who doesn't want to be WWF champion is me because I am and I have to do all the work. Uh, Lawler says something like, it's not easy. It's not easy working for the champion or working to be champion, something like that. And Shawn Michaels response to Lawler, it's not it ain't easy working for you either. So I don't know if, if Michaels did like some stint in Memphis at one point that I'm forgetting. Uh, Michaels also says no one can hang and bang with Sid, which is a, a Hogan line. So I don't know if this is implying, you know, putting Sid in Hogan's spot, much like they tried to do years earlier as Sid Justice. Uh, well, you were mentioning Sid coming off the top rope and thinking about his leg injury. That's not where I thought his legs would be destroyed. It's him getting his his knees up to block Vader coming off the ropes with a Vader bomb. You have a lighter guy like a cruiserweight and you bring your knees up. That makes more sense. You got 400 pounds coming down. Y yeah, getting your knees up is going to hurt him, but it's going to hurt you too. If anything, it might hurt you worse. Uh, Vader with, for someone that's the, the work ethic that we've pointed out, the work rate for him, sits on the outside. Vader just stands there like count out win, still a win. I'd still be the number one contender if he got counted out. He pulls it up at a two count, like thinks he's got the match one and pulls him up for two count. Someone with Vader's win-loss record so far in WWF should not be pulling anyone up at two. You know, wait for the three count. It just, it was, I know it was meant to make him look strong, but it just made him look foolish instead. Um, we said gets a, uh, Cornette on the ropes and crotches him. Vader does that not uppercut to Sid. You know, my favorite wrestling move, as we've talked about before. Uh, like you said, Sid wins with the choke slam. No power bombs in this one. And then Sid and Sean just come out and shake hands and all like, oh, isn't this crazy? Two good guys. We got to fight. Boy, this is going to be fun. But Sid is absolutely crowned next guy. Like, you know, from this match, okay, even if he's not being Michaels, he's getting the world title for sure. Like he's, this match is, uh, is an unofficial crowning of him as the next champion. Yeah. I thought Sid coming out crowd was into him. He looked good. Um, very motivated too. As we've, as we've been talking about, um, after the match, uh, we actually get a preview for survivor series. Um, and I, I just thought it was very interesting that the Hall of Fame was taking part of Survivor Series weekend uh, and just kind of going through the early 90s. Um, you know, they started the Hall of Fame in 93. They started it with Andre, basically um, inducting him. And he was the only inductee. And then in 1994, 
Um, you know, they, they had another one, 95, and then 96, and then they don't have another Hall of Fame for till 2004 so they wait eight years to have a hall of fame um the weird thing about the hall of fame as we know now of course it, it takes place on mania weekend uh it took them that long to figure out that the hall of fame should be on mania weekend number one and number two before it was on survivor series weekend it was king of the ring weekend when they would actually have uh the hall of fame in 95 and then the hall of fame in 94 as well i just kind of thought that was interesting that uh, it would take place on King of the Ring weekend. One, I'm wondering if it depended on the venue and the city they were in. Like, okay, what makes the most sense for us to have this separate event here? And then let's just put it that weekend as opposed to it's Mania and we'll, we'll find a place for it. Um, it. It seems like with it coming back and being put on TV and being part of Mania weekend... I wonder if this was the buildup as Mania Weekend became an indie wrestling weekend as well. It's a weekend for all of wrestling, for everyone to do stuff. So I wonder if they're like, oh, geez, all these indie promotions are having events around Mania. We want that money, too. What else can we do Mania Weekend to get more money? Oh, let's throw the Hall of Fame there, too. That makes sense. Let's do access. That makes sense. And that's why they added it to just build up more of the event of the whole the whole week. But when did they start allowing um, crowds into Mania or into the Hall of Fame? Excuse me, because Mania One was in a bar. Or, uh, Mania, yeah, Mania One. The Hall of Fame in two thousand four was at a Hilton Hotel. Like, were were people able to buy a table for this event? Um, I know now. Obviously, they just they get the arena for all, an entire week. Basically, when they're doing, you know, Mania and they're taking bids from cities. But well, because they did it like a dinner for a while. It was supposed to look like a, a casual award banquet dinner thing. And now it's this just flat out an event, a show. And they've removed that whole thing. I think it's just the evolution of it. They never really did it before. If anything, for a wrestling one, you got the Cauliflower Alley Club that they could have looked at for what other right. people do. As a comparison. No one else right? had, yeah, no one else had something like this. So I think it was just them playing with the format until finding something that works and they can make money off of. Cauliflower Alley Club every year in Vegas. What a what a great city to go to for for some wrestling weekend. So uh, it's, it's always I think the last weekend of April as well. Um, so let's move on. Uh, we're getting right close to our main event here, but before that, we do have Doc Hendricks having a nice interview with Sid. Uh, Jr. steps in and Sid messes up the interview. Watches hard with a long pause. I'm surprised he didn't ask if he could, you know, do a retake and, you know, be reminded that we're live, pal. So already some, uh, if you're going to be the guy taking Hogan's shoes and you're already messing up in an interview, not, not looking good there. Does anyone have more classic interview bluffs than Sid? We like, this is a lesser one. I'm, I'm upset that we didn't have access to the free for alls on WWE network because the very first in your house has the big one of let's do another take and they remind him it's live. And my favorite one is the WCW one against Nash where it says something like I have twice, twice the body and half the brain. Right. Nash is all gimmicked up to look like McMahon. Scott Hall's in the ring with him and he just completely flip flops words. And you could just see Scott Hall dying in the ring. Nash is trying not to smile as much, but Scott Hall is just, laughing hysterically as Sid is just completely gooping up his lines, basically calling himself to be a moron and having half the IQ. 
Oh, it was great. It, it, Nash said something like, I couldn't agree more. It's, it, like, something right. like that. He just has to address it eventually. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's classic screw-ups in, in wrestling promos. But to have three big ones, like, that's an achievement. I still think my favorite uh, promo, I don't even, I'm screw-up, whatever it is, is when Lex Luger struggles with the shirt. And these shirts are too tight. It's my favorite. They're going to book me? Can they even afford me and pay me? <laughs> that is great. Oh, okay, so we, we, we can't say it. No, favorite one's Booker T. Booker T, Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you. And something else. <laughs> good thing Gawker wasn't around for that interview. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Hogan's good when the camera light's on. Just when he knows it's on. When it's off, he's just staying when away he knows from his promos. Hidden camera, yeah. something else. Yeah, exactly. So uh, uh, we do get a video package for Mankind versus Undertaker, and it's a more expanded one uh, than the one that we saw to open up the show. Um, and that really d- takes us to our our main event, the Buried Alive match. Uh, a lot of shenanigans playing out here. Uh, what did you guys think of this? Did this hold up? I always remembered the match, but never remembered if it was good or not. You know, you always just kind of remember the set piece at the end. So, uh, Educator, what did you think of this one? Uh, definitely watching this back again, um, the, a lot of the spots in the match, very hard-hitting spots both Taker and Mankind. Um, We've got Earl Hebner, the referee. First time we're seeing him tonight on uh, being the main, uh, refereeing the main event. Um, Just even like some of the subtle shots where Mankind is standing ringside near the corner, um, near one of the turnbuckles uh, on the floor. Undertaker is laying in the ring by that same turnbuckle, but Undertaker like uses his legs to kick fully across into the barricade next to the fans Mm -hmm. right there. And it was just such a loud shot where his head smacks against it. Um, I Taker then climbs to the top rope to follow that and does like a cross body dive from the top rope to the floor onto Foley. And they begin to brawl through the crowd up towards the big mound. Um, I love undertaker's way to attempt getting suplexed, uh, next to the grave where he like does an inside cradle, small package to Foley and they roll down the hill together. Um, I, I just thought that was a very, very interesting spot. Um, then they, uh, proceed to brawl back to ringside, uh, again, a few spots in the ring and then they're back out of the ringside again. And then they're brawling in the crowd. Undertaker does an Irish whip to Foley to throw him towards back towards the ring. And Foley does that. He slams his hip into the barricade, but then his body flips over onto the floor. Undertaker runs right after him and does like a big running diving clothesline over the barricade onto the floor. I thought that was a very, very interesting uh, spot together. Um, we're we're so conditioned today to not see uh chair shots to the head anymore but uh fully doing a chair shot to undertaker's head on the floor oh, oh brutal brutal to look at uh fully then hits a double arm ddt onto that same chair uh, eventually undertaker sits right up in the ring uh to continue their feud um 
Taker takes a uh, chair shot to uh, the back from Foley. It sounded like a gunshot had went off. Taker then somehow knocks Foley down. Um, and uh, actually, I'm sorry, Taker ended up doing a chair shot to Foley's back that sounded like a gunshot going off. And then he lays the chair down on Foley's face, hits the ropes, and does the big leg drop onto the chair onto Foley's face. Uh, the ring steps and how they were involved in the match. Um, the the ring steps slamming onto Foley's body. Uh, Undertaker does a tombstone in the ring onto Foley. Uh, and then Foley ends up doing the mandible claw uh, eventually on the Undertaker when they're getting ready to set uh, get set to be thrown into the uh, uh, into the grave itself. Undertaker choke slamming Foley into the grave, uh, and Taker starts to uh, and to finish the match. We get that choke slam into the grave. Taker maybe throws about three or four handfuls of dirt onto Foley, and then the ref calls the match and says, "Oh, it's finished." He wasn't, you know, at all completely buried whatsoever. So for the match part itself, I thought it was. Um, fantastic a fantastic outing uh between undertaker and foley uh the shenanigans afterward um i guess the timing it just it went on for too long which i under i understand why they had a whole bunch of wrestlers come out to to help the process along but here we end up after the match and Undertaker's music is playing. Uh, we see the uh, introduction to a new character. Um, it would be a short-lived character for WWE, WWF fans to see. But for those of you who were, uh, were aware of who the gentleman was playing the character, uh, a certain uh, well-known veteran in the business. So we see the masked executioner do a swing a shovel to the back of Undertaker's head to knock him down. Foley ends up kind of getting revived uh, from that and climbing his way out of the grave. The uh, masked executioner was uh, former fabulous freebird Terry Bam Bam Gordy, who well known for his role in the the original fabulous freebirds trio. Uh, eventually made a, a huge name for himself, ta- tagging up with Dr. Death Steve Williams in Japan and, and being a multiple-time uh, tag team champion with uh, Dr. Death Steve Williams in WCW and in, in Japan as well. And uh, modern fans may have remembered that Terry Gordy had a few matches in Paul Heyman's ECW earlier this particular calendar year. So... Um, Terry Gordy, certainly uh, a well-known entity in the wrestling business for his contributions. Uh, this is his first time in the WWF. Uh, well, technically, he had a short run in the early 80s when the Fabulous Freebirds were in the WWF for three or four weeks. Uh, but this is his first real full stint in the WWF that most fans will will be probably aware of. Um Interesting, the combination of heels that come out to finally get the uh, final piece uh, uh, to to bury the Undertaker after the match was over, after the big shovel, shovel shot to the head. Here we've got Goldust making his second appearance for the night, uh, who then would eventually have a dark match heavyweight championship match against Shawn Michaels. So very interesting. Uh, I wonder how Goldust was actually paid for that night, had an intercontinental title match 
was then in the final angle to close the main event of the show and then ended up having a dark match for the live crowd for the WWE Heavyweight Championship. So he had two title shots in one night. Um, so busy, busy character. We see Hunter Hearst Helmsley out there, which of all of the guys, he just seems the weirdest one to be included in the mix. Uh, we see Crush. We see Justin Hawk, Bradshaw. And the seven of them, including uh, Foley, the Executioner, and even Paul Bearer, they're just as frantically as quick as possible just trying to shovel and fill that that actual grave full of dirt, bury the Undertaker, uh, for just for you know Foley to end up you know winning the war for that night kind of deal. And then we see the the cl- close of the show with uh, the lightning bolt striking. Uh, right in front of the grave and Undertaker's, or at least a purple gloved hand of Undertaker's uh, fist rising out next to the grave, not from the actual part where uh, he was buried from, but literally right in front of the tombstone. So certainly some key camera work to uh, allow, uh, you know, Mark Calloway to be able to certainly escape without any injury. Uh, you know, being buried from legit dirt, but uh, interesting concept. We would see a couple more iterations of the Buried Alive match in the future. Um, I probably most notably uh, the Undertaker versus uh, Vince McMahon match that happened as well. Um, but interesting way to debut a new character. Unfortunately, a short-lived character for the WWF at that time with the masked executioner. Um, Hallians, what were your thoughts on it? It's God. It's such a an interesting match to watch now with how wrestling's evolved. Right. There's classic stuff. There's stuff that would work now. Where Undertaker and Mankind start the ring, they make their way to the grave, they come back to the ring, they kind of tease it a couple times. That's no different than teasing, you know, setting up the table in the first minute of the match, right. and then you forget about it long enough that when they go back to it, you're excited again. Right. Similar so, to remember the Hogpen match. Uh, Godwin yep. and Hunter, they went back and forth probably two or three times before we ended up getting the final finish to that match as well. So, yeah, And it's great, and it really builds it up and all. Um, the hype beforehand, this is the first ever unsanctioned match in WWF. It means we have no responsibility should anything go wrong. Like, it really is making it. Uh, the first note that I have for the match is that kick you were mentioning when Mankind cracks his head back of his head off of the the barrier the guardrail that's the first one i'm like oh that's right it's mankind and undertaker in some of the best shape of their life and they're about to go to war right this is going to be a heck of a match there's so many unprotected shots i we want wrestling that looks like wrestling like they're hitting each other like they're going at it we also want the wrestlers to be safe so they can wrestle again tomorrow and have a long career. And there's ways to do that. And most of the people are very good now. But you look back at all these violent hits, unprotected shots, just the stuff Foley alone is doing. It's gross in a way to see. It's like, I don't want to see that again. I don't want wrestling to go back to that. But I appreciate what it is now. So, okay, neither of them died. They went on, you know, they made more money, had more successful careers and all. They're okay overall. 
so I can enjoy this match for what it is. But geez, you just cringe so much now watching it, knowing how much damage can be done, how awful it is. Right. Um, and, and what a great character mankind was, how much fully put into it. The high-pitched squeals. God, oh. that's so disturbing. Oh, I, I love yeah, the, the pig squeals when he's just going nuts. It's just oh. a, a great, great little piece to his character that made him so unique, made him stand out so much more from the other heels that were, you know, there on the card that night. Yeah, and and like to say Undertaker's in great shape makes sense, and he's he's a main event person. For someone to say McFoley's in great shape seems funny to say, but man, he is. He's in fantastic shape in this match. He's a lot thinner than what we we were uh, accustomed to seeing him later. Um, I I always look at McFoley pre ninety eight King of the Ring and that toss off of the cell, and he looked he, he was letting himself go. Uh, that in 98, but in 96, that first year, year and a half, uh, right around where we start to see the dude love gimmick, that's where we start to see some of the, the bumps and, and then that have taken a toll on his body and he starts to fall out of shape in my opinion. Well, I mean, there's a Mick Foley body and wrestling style pre Hell in Cell and who he is after. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) For sure. Um, Lawler insults the appearance of a young girl. This is where an inappropriate right. comment can go. Oh, oh cre- like she's a creature of the night, and like, wait a minute, she's not a, she's just a teenage girl in the crowd, just staring intently. Yeah, which, at he, which he does sometimes allegedly meet at night and not say, you know, insulting right. comments too. Right. Allegedly. 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 Uh, there, it's just it's such a well done match. It's violent. Both guys are great. They look fantastic. They build suspense. So well done. The ending does take a while. You're right. I did enjoy um, the biggest bumps of the night might be from the referees getting tossed off of the the graveyard site. Right. <laughs> like they go. Fl- Hepner especially went flying. And that was, that was a fair height up for it, too. Uh, Executioner comes out. Poor Terry Gordy. Like, I really wish there would have been a Freebirds in their prime or even Doc and Gordy in WWF. Because at this point, he's gone. Like, it, it just, it, it almost seemed, and I'm not making an ECW on sci-fi reference, but it's almost zombie-esque. Like, He's just going through motions and muscle memory for stuff. Well, right. He had a medical episode on a flight in 96. Uh, um, I believe most are referring to it as he had a, a type of stroke. And he, from what many wrestlers have commented on in, in commentators and especially JR, he never really uh, fully recovered to complete full capacity. So, Jr., this was kind of more of, uh, you know, let, let's bring Terry Gordy in. Let's have him do some limited things that he can do. Um, let's just let's help him out and give this guy a paycheck kind of deal. So, uh, but yeah, this is not Terry Gordy, 1992, 93, uh, like Japan, like killer that we that I familiar with. Yeah, and. It's a shame too, and it sounds like it was a favor to Michael Hayes, Doc Hendricks, right? Just bring him in for a little bit and all. 
but to to see how how gone his mind is, I would say, and I, and I do feel bad saying that he fills the hole like a dog. He's like bent over and and tossing the dirt with his hands, not grabbing a shovel, but with his bare hands and tossing it back like a dog that just took a dump. And he continues to do this even after the other wrestlers show up with shovels. It just all becomes very weird. Um, you're mentioning some of the people come out executioner being there makes sense. Of course, Goldust just had his feud, uh, uh, so it makes sense for him to come out. I believe Justin Ogbrich on Undertaker have had a Raw match at this point, so it makes a little sense. Uh, I did see Crush out there, right? The heel version Crush, of Crush. Crush and yeah. Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And see, you're like, why is Hunter out here? Here is evidence of the first time Triple H buried someone. There it, it happens is. throughout his career. It, just, it had it to is. start somewhere. Yep. Now, yeah, he buried he buried for? Undertaker, Kevin. Great joke. <laughs> uh, the fans tossing trash into the grave. I'm torn between that's a hell of a shot to make it in there. But also, like, how incredibly disrespectful to the show. But I think post-Hogan joining the NWO, that's just where we were. It, the fans tossing garbage into the ring or, in, or at a wrestler was almost expected. Almost considered part of the show in a way, because it just always happened. And it, it wasn't shut down. That was just fans expressing themselves. Well... You know, how much stuff you want to start throwing at wrestlers before they start getting hurt and it starts becoming heavier objects or more, you know, damaging ones. Um, it took forever. I'm kind of wondering if Vince McMahon or someone in the back was like, this hole's going to take an hour to fill. Can we, can a couple of you guys stand around here that are still in your gear, just go and grab shovels and get out there and try to make this move a little quicker? But then you get like the lighting effects and everything and the camera goes away and it comes back and there's way more dirt in there than there should have been. So I wonder if the the way the Undertaker escapes, you know, underneath, if like a hinge comes up, like a door that makes it look higher up. Like if he, you know, rolled into something, escaped, and then it's almost like a like a false floor pops up. So now they're only filling to that false floor. They're not filling all the way down. I, I'm sure maybe why it's, it looked fuller it, quicker it's got to be a similar setup to the casket at ringside and the guy being able to go from underneath the ring into the casket or be in the casket and then go under the ring so that when they open the door again all of a sudden the, the character's gone has had to be a similar mechanism but just a, a protected one that could certainly support the weight of all i mean because that's a lot of dirt that they were actually shoveling still, on. yeah and, and you can see why they usually have like a forklift or, or not forklift, but like some sort of um, heavy machinery right. like Otis and Tucker at ringside now to just dump dirt even quicker. Uh, a lot of lackluster shoveling for for guys that you know are in the gym all the time and getting a good workout. There's some lazy ass shoveling going on in this, like just scooping a little bit. It's like Crush I can help up. you out. Yeah. Um, and the most athletic move of the night happens at the end of this. Well, Paul Bearer walking down the hill and Paul not Bearer walks down there and doesn't fall. And does not. I and was stunned. Just, I wasn't sure if like one of the wrestlers grabbed his arm the way that the angle was. He, they maybe he did, uh, but I thought maybe uh, Executioner had grabbed his arm, the other arm that wasn't holding the urn, just to make sure he wouldn't do a Humpty Dumpty. 
Because, you know, I mean, Bear is known to struggle to get through the ropes to get in the ring. So, at this yeah, point, this, this, this weight, has his weight control had gotten too much. I, I don't mean this as a knock on Gordy, but I don't think he would have been able to think and consider, oh, maybe I should help this guy walk down the hill. I think it was all Bear and just somehow he's standing there like, please don't fall, please don't fall. Fantastic match, though, other than the, the too long of a burial right. part of it. Fantastic. Yeah, a lot of fun to to go back and actually rewatch it. Like I said, I've always remembered the match, obviously, because Buried Alive match, I mean, you've seen the the glove come out, but I couldn't remember I couldn't remember any spots really of the match or, or anything that happened to it. So it was fun to go see it. And like I've said before, these in your houses are making me love Mick Foley even more for what he's put his body through. I mean, just incredible incredible bumps that he's taking and brutal just brutal bumps that of course we know adds up over the years and uh that's why he walks a little funny now so so yeah why don't we go right to um our our rankings what what was the best match of the night guys what did you guys think my opinion i would say the main event yeah the very live match itself by far okay would that go into the top five for the um, in your house pay-per-views, what do you guys think? Of course, our, our, our bottom of the barrel is HBK versus Jeff Jarrett at the Lumberjacks pay-per-view. That's five right now. I honestly, I am bumping Michaels and Jarrett out and putting this into top five. I think I would agree with that assessment. I think it would definitely warrant at least a top five uh, for me as well. So let's start, I guess, with number five and see if it rises any further up. So the next match is number four. It's HBK versus Mankind at Mind Games. Hmm. I'm willing to put it ahead of that, but I think that's where it stops. Um, yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think that going back and looking at it again, especially just some of the the hard. I mean, the thing that stands out for with the HBK Foley match was just the the table, the suplex uh, change into a crossbody into the table. That was like the biggest. Biggest spot there in this match, there were just so many like hard hitting chair shots and and ring ring rail spots. I think this was much hard hitting, more entertaining match than that one. So I would say, yeah, let's bump it up and put it in the number four. Let's see if it compares to three. Yeah, number three is the People's Posse versus Camp Cornette, the six man. I say I say no. I say this stays at four because of that. You've got to factor in that crowd. The so yeah, the crowd was so invested in all six guys in that match, and that's not a knock at Undertaker and and Mankind in this match. It's just because it delivered and was so entertaining, and it got the crowd so motivated. I, I would probably leave it in this number four spot right there. All right, so Undertaker versus Mankind at Buried Alive does make our top five list, and it is at number four. Of course, uh, number one being HBK Diesel, number two, Brett versus Bulldog, number three, the People's Posse versus Camp Cornette, then Undertaker versus Mankind, and then number five, HBK versus Mankind. Um, Kind of interesting to think now, uh, two people, uh, well, I know Sean is part of the People's Posse, um, so I guess he's got three matches, he leads the way, but Mankind with two matches in the top five, so I would not have um, expected that to be honest with you going going uh 
going into it. So, um, so where do you guys think this ranks on pay-per-view wise? Um, you know, we've done 10 of these already, so I don't want to just keep naming them over and over again. Um, so I will probably, I'll start with one, um, because I don't think this is bottom of the barrel. I think this is a a pretty easy watch to be honest with you. I think it flows really really well and me personally. Yeah. I think it it flew, it flew by when I was watching it. I could Um, certainly, yeah, I could certainly see arguments for and against. I think the biggest against for this particular show is the whole JR healing and just the, at least for the television watcher at home, just the disruptive uh, influence that he had on the first two matches and the whole angle itself, distracting away from the in-ring product itself. Um, I could kind of see this lower middle of the road as well. I don't think it would be, I don't think it would be in the bottom three, but certainly wouldn't make the top three shows either. I personally, just going through the list, I like it better than Beware of Dog 2. Um, I don't think it's as good as Great White North, um, which is number seven on the list. I think it goes right into that seven, eight. Uh, but that would not be um, that, you know, the bottom three, the, 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 the first one would be Beware of Dog. So I think it's better than that, but I don't think it's much better. And that's just me personally. Is Good Friends, Better Enemies still last, right? Correct. Good friends, better enemies. Lumberjack, then beware of Doug. I'm putting this second from last. The JR stuff takes away so much. The way the booking is, the way the flow is, the way that it's more about getting over 10 storylines at once than actually having a good wrestling match. It's weird because we still have that main event from Good Friends, Better Enemies as our, our favorite one so far. But that rest of the card is garbage. This has better wrestling when the wrestling is allowed to happen. But there's still so much taking away and distracting from it. And then a good main event. But there's... I, I could I could pass almost everything else on the show. And never see it again or feel a desire to. Because so much of it gets ruined by... Let's throw other stuff in here. But what is there is better than the undercard on good friends, better enemies. I agree with that assessment. Absolutely too. So you think it's right above that. So you think it's the second worst one we've watched so far. I don't know. The lumberjacks was kind of rough to sit through. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably, but I, I would say probably at least bottom. It definitely be in the bottom third. So why don't we, um, because I think it's, I think it's better than beware of dog. Um, and Kevin thinks it's just better. We'll cut the difference. We'll put it above lumberjacks then. So it'll be the third worst one. Okay. Cause that's the diff. That's the difference between uh, for, for the group. Of course, our number one, uh, pay-per-view still international incident. Number two, triple header and number three seasons beatings. So next week, you guys looking forward to uh, next week on the show. Uh, we're going to be watching in your house. 12. It's time. Uh, is the name of it. And of course, this pay-per-view uh, doesn't have Vader on it. So why it's called <laughs> It's Time, who the hell knows? I'm not, not too sure. Uh, but that will be headlined by Psycho Sid taking on Bret Hart. Um, a singles match for the World Heavyweight Championship. So we will have a lot to talk about there. Um, saying uh, HBK is no longer uh, no longer champion. So As much as I was annoyed with storyline and the Russo aspect, 
boy, do I have a lot to look forward to <laughs> in the next few in your houses. There, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff happening here soon. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be coming at you uh, fast and furious, and uh, I look forward to uh, enjoying that with you guys. Um, so, educator, anything you want to say before we go home today? Ah, I'd like to thank everybody again for tuning into our podcast. I want to thank the Retro Network for certainly hosting um, our show. Uh, I'd like to thank you guys for the opportunity to relive some of uh, uh, these great wrestling memories that I had. And certainly growing up, we're now looking at towards the end of uh, high school for me. And so 20 plus years ago. And uh, look forward to continue uh, delving through the history of some great wrestling action and uh taking a second look and reminiscing on these on these wonderful times yeah and of course i want to thank uh the retro network um for having us on their platform uh you can find me at maddie treats on twitter um and of course check out all of our show socials as well uh we appreciate all the support and if you like the show and you're into wrestling or if you know someone that's into wrestling please uh let your friends know about the show as well um Plus, they, they, they get a bunch of great content from the uh, Retro Network on the other, uh, all the other days that aren't Throwdown Thursdays. Um, so that's all I got to say. And uh, Mass Library, why don't you take us home? All right. Thank you to all of the listeners for enjoying this product. Thank you to the Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you to Richard Reeder for our logo. Thank you to my two co-hosts for this highlight of our weeks there and how much I'm enjoying it. Thank you, WWE Network, of course, for providing this content. And I want to say that... I think. Dip. Dip. Did you guys cut off my mic again? Oh, are you doing like a JR thing? Bringing it back. God, you're terrible. Isn't it annoying? See, that's why I put the show second from last. That's well, fine. Why don't you go make, some, go make some videos on TikTok and just, whatever. Just wipe that a couple times and we'll get rid of it.